Nyata, hello. Alison here from a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. Back when it was legal in Victoria, we had a couple of school families over for dinner. We lit a big fire in the fire pit and cooked up a storm and then gathered around our long table for a meal. There we chatted and told stories and gradually the talk turned to politics. At this point, one of my teenage daughters entered the conversation and she set out her strong and considered opinion on the intersection of power and violence. Well, one of the men looked stunned. When she left the room, he said, She's pretty forceful, but it makes sense. I mean, you and your husband are already on the margins because of your faith and you're obviously comfortable there, so I guess your kids feel free to express themselves even when their opinions aren't mainstream. Well, it made me stop and think. Not about my daughter's opinions, which I happen to largely agree with, or whether or not she should have expressed them. I was so proud when she did. But about being seen as marginal. It's not so long ago that the church claimed a central place in Australian life. And indeed, many in the church try to insist that we are still entitled to this place. But decades of corruption, indeed of willing participation in the intersection of power and violence, have driven countless people away from the church, and the church has lost much of its authority. And so, of course, the church and those who are in it are seen to be marginal. But maybe this is not something to be mourned. Maybe the margins are where we were always supposed to be. Because maybe, just maybe, the authority of the gospel emerges out of vulnerability poverty and powerlessness. At least Jesus seems to think so. But when he sends out his disciples two by two, he clearly expects them to require hospitality, not to be in a position to offer it, but to require it. When he tells them to hit the road, he instructs them to take nothing but his authority to commend them. They're to carry no food, no bag, no money in their belts, no closed shoes and no change of clothing. They're to have no weapon beyond a walking stick and no status. Instead, they're to rely on other people to feed, clothe and shelter them as they go about their work. More, Jesus warns that they will be rejected. It should come as no surprise. In Mark's account, between calling the twelve and now sending them, Jesus has already been rejected four times by his family, by legal experts, by foreign people across the lake, and most recently, by his hometown. For those who follow in his footsteps, rejection, even by people they love, is pretty much inevitable. But just in case there are any lingering doubts, Jesus instructs the disciples what to do when it happens. Walk away, shaking the dust off your feet as you do so. In other words, disciples are not expected to be wealthy. Nor are they expected to be at the centre of power. They are not expected to be independent or well-resourced or popular. Instead, they must rely utterly on God and others for their basic needs. This suggests that their true power and authority will emerge precisely when they live in an attitude of radical trust. And this attitude may very well involve poverty, humility, vulnerability and marginality. Many years ago now, 
I was a teenager at a church in another national capital, Washington, D.C. Attendees included all sorts, homeless Vietnam vets, middle-class families, as well as the occasional senator, ambassador and governor of the Federal Reserve. We in the youth group always knew when the president was coming to church. We'd be at Sunday morning Bible study, and we'd see snipers with machine guns crawling up the sides of the building in order to secure the roof. From time to time, a member of the congregation would invite my family to Sunday lunch at one of Washington's elite clubs. There, we'd be greeted by a doorman in top hat and tails. He'd open the door and bow us in. Once inside, we'd be ushered into a hush room with thick carpets, double damask tablecloths and silver service. One wall was tiled with photographs of ambassadors. Another, Nobel Prize winners, yet another, Pulitzer Prize winners. And I think there was a Fields medalist too. The hall to the restroom was lined with first edition stamps featuring members' faces. And everything about the club oozed exclusivity and opportunity and wealth and power. There was no entry even to the dining room without an invitation from a well-heeled, well-connected host. I think of this club now and of the ambassadors cocooned and remembered there. I think too of the many beautiful buildings in Washington, which are embassies, and of the mansions in which ambassadors are usually installed. I think of how politicians give plum posts to wealthy cronies and send them away with the power of the state behind them, men with guns beside them, extensive staff to welcome them, and generous allowances to enable them to host. And then I think of how the institutional church has replicated much of this culture. Bishops live in palaces. Megachurch pastors preach prosperity. Conservative evangelicals are a political force to be reckoned with, and Pentecostals have the ear of our Prime Minister. And like ambassadors in the wider culture, too often the church tries to operate from a position of power, wealth and influence. So it tries to dominate, seeking to regulate not only its members, but other people's lives. It congratulates itself for its charity, but remains largely silent on the need for radical structural change. It trumpets family values, yet is seen to resist efforts towards truth-telling and justice for victims of clergy abuse or Indigenous children's homes or forced adoptions from young single mothers. It has vast property holdings and wealth beyond imagining, even as it claims to preach the gospel of one who had not even a pillow on which to lay his head. And so it has lost its authority. Because people outside the church have no time for Christians who embody a culture of dominance, who, for example, demand the freedom to speak in harmful ways, who condemn LGBTI plus people or who seek to control other people's bodies. And why should they have time for them? For when the church tries to operate from a position of power, it is soon corrupted and it entirely misses the point. And the point is this, the gospel is marginal and the only way to spread the gospel to others is to be marginal too. For in Mark's account, the messenger is the message. So as messengers of Jesus, we are not 
granted the trappings of power, nor acceptability, nor deference, there will be no doorman. We have no authority beyond love. We will not be making strategic small talk as we host lavish banquets for carefully chosen guests. We're not even guaranteed a welcome, let alone success. Instead, as Jesus' ambassadors, we travel empty-handed, relying on the hospitality of those who are willing to give. As long as a church clings to being powerful, respectable, self-sufficient and at the centre of things, this stance will feel very costly. In fact, it will feel scandalous. And it is. It is scandalous that the power of God is made perfect through weakness. It is scandalous that Christ is proclaimed not through power, wealth or influence, but through humility, vulnerability, poverty and radical trust. It is scandalous that even when we do God's will, there is no guarantee of reward or success. Indeed, we might even be rejected. And yet, for those of us who wish to follow Christ and to operate with his authority, this is the only way. And when we live this way, then like those first very ordinary disciples, we too will become Christ-like. We too will travel with authority and we too will find ourselves in strange new contexts, bringing good news and healing. So as ambassadors for Christ, let us lay down our privilege and power, our education and entitlement, our credit cards and KPIs and expectations of success. Let us lay down our aspirations and ambitions, our good connections, our self-importance, self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Let us lay down any illusion that we are the arbiters of morality and righteousness. And let us lay them all down as the false gods that they are. And let us confess our sins and place our trust in the one true God. And when we do, when we risk vulnerability and poverty and life on the margins, when we choose simplicity and act for justice, when we listen attentively, when we work humbly, when we speak words only of hope and healing. Well, perhaps then people will see us as the bearers of good news. And perhaps then they will welcome us into their homes and into their hearts and lives. Let us pray. Grounded God, you emptied yourself, taking the form of a slave and humbling yourself even unto death. Empty us of our pride. Strip us of our self-importance. Shatter our self-reliance. Help us to trust in your guidance and provision and to accept the gifts of others. For it is in weakness that your power is known and it is in receiving that we can give. So Lord, help us to be weak. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. This reflection was preached at Canberra Baptist on the 4th of July 2021. But I'm popping it on the Sanctuary website for those at Sanctuary. There's always more to read there. That's sanctuarybaptist.wordpress.com And Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website.
This recording was made on the lands of the Eastern Ma Nation, whose people have been sharing story and keeping culture since time immemorial. And I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Peace be with you.